Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's where we are. And uh, I'll have to catch you up just a little bit and uh, because I didn't say everything I wanted to say last week. Imagine that. I got so much preaching me this morning. Uh, somebody remind me at 1 o'clock, okay? So I don't forget what time it is. Uh, Acts chapter number 2. Now, here's what we got to remember when we was... Uh, singing that song, there's none like thee. Well, I've been thinking about that. When Jesus ascended to heaven, these same feet, these same feet, that same person, that same man, and Mount of Olives said the same feet shall set down on the Mount of Olives. Not only is there no one like him, there never ever will be anybody like him. He's Lord, right? So today, I'm not going to read all of what I read last week, but I will refer back to some of that. I want you to understand this block of verses. It is probably one of the more misunderstood passages in the Bible, and I want us to get it so you can help some other people who may be misguided and also even frustrated about this particular text. So I'm going to begin reading just over there in verse number 7, if you've got that. Um, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And Galileans just simply meant that they were from up in the area of Galilee, which was called the country bumpkins. We would call them hillbillies, moonshiners, you know, that kind of thing. They were just country folk. And there's certainly nothing wrong with country folk. In fact, it was the common people who heard Jesus gladly, the Bible says. It wasn't the others that did. And so, notice the Bible says that how hear we every man in our own tongue. That word for tongue is translated language. Language. That's not hard to figure out. Language. We heard him in our own tongue, our own Language. Y'all have that? Now, how hear we every man our own tongue wherein we were born? And then he lives 16, I believe it is, 16 different places that people had come from. Basically, the Roman Empire claimed the whole world, so pretty much what was known then is the whole world were represented there because in the diaspora or the dispersion years before, the Jews were scattered all over the world. And so here, they're gathered. And they're gathered there on that day that we call the day of Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50th, right? Because it is the Feast of Weeks and it is the uh, first fruits of the harvest and they come and it's a, it was actually a, a celebration time. And this was when the church, Jesus chose to birth the church on this day. But look what verse 12 says. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. I'd like to have a bunch of them kind of drunks, wouldn't you? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up the voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose." seeing it's but the third hour of day. It's too early for them to get drunk, he said. I'd never seen some people it was too early for, but for the most part, it was too early. But this is that. Now look, 
this is that. In other words, he is describing a present experience. Do you have that? Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. Don't forget that. The Holy Spirit is present. Don't forget that. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Don't forget that. But here's the thing we really shouldn't forget. The Holy Spirit's mission is to personify and glorify Jesus Christ. So that's why he said this is that, that experience which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he takes them over to the book of Joel. Now this doesn't mean that he... Everything that Joel prophesied is in this, but this was in the prophecy that Joel gave. This, that, Pentecost, tongues on the head. In fact, that's the title of my message today, Holy Hotheads. We need some of them, amen? Now look, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Last days means when the church is done, hear me, when the church is done, that is the last segment before God finishes things up down here in what we call the great tribulation period and then comes back for the final thousand years which makes 7,000 and completes everything God meant to do for the millennial reign and then we have eternity forever. Well, now that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit falling on everybody. Women, men, sons, daughters, uh, everybody. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I'll pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. In other words, these last days were intended to do one thing, prophesy. That means Acts 1.8 says to take the gospel, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the whole world. That's what it means, okay? But, he goes on to read the rest of Joel, which hadn't happened yet. He said, I will show wonders in the heaven above. Aren't you tired of hearing this eclipse? I'd be glad in that two minutes is over. Amen. Look, he said, I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun, hey, hey, they want to see something? God's going to show them something. Look, and the sun shall be turned into darkness. You're talking about an eclipse. And you say, why? The moon into blood. I don't think you can buy no glasses for that. Before that great and notable day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This day, the church was birthed. We, a part of that body, was birthed. Everyone who is true believers, true Bible believers, true Bible-believing, born-again saints is a part of that body. And we are to be like these were, these 120, a bunch of holy hotheads in Lebanon. That's what God has called us to do. And so today, I hope you'll stay with me and pray with me as we look at this amazing text and 
to me it is simple, but to some folks it's made difficult because people have confused it. I want to clear it, not confuse it, okay? If I confuse you, write me a note, not a dirty note. I throw those away. Write me a note. Say, Brother Glenn, I don't understand this. I'll come back. I'll either do that personally or I'll come back and do it publicly uh, in a message. But I want you to understand what this passage means. Amen? It's the most important passage for the church because it's... And Jim and I kid with each other. Don't think we're mad. I know some of you get real easily hurt. But when he walked off and I said, go sit down, that's what I meant. Go sit down. I I was just messing with him and we do that. He liable to turn around and told me, well, you sit there too and don't preach. You don't ever know. But I love him and I thank God for him and I thank for his faith. So I want you today to see how important a birth is. Your kids was pretty important. Your mom and daddy thought you was pretty important. And we all think the church is pretty important. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the privilege to preach today. Lord, just so much to say to God's people. I pray you'll help me to get through. I pray, God, that uh, there'll be open ears. I pray that our enemies will be rendered powerless to interfere or to hinder the sweet, wonderful spirit in this church. Now, Spirit of God, I realize that spirit is not us. It's the spirit in us. And it's the spirit, God, of God. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God, move today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you got to remember the book of Acts is the beginning of the church. And so when we look at that and we go to the end of the Bible and the book of the Revelation, we find the end of time. And we also find the end of the church. So let me just tell you what it was going on. At the entrance of the book of Acts, he was going to the cross. But when you get to Revelation, he's going to the crown. Did y'all get that? At the entrance of the book of Acts, he was going to the thorns uh, be crucified, and now he is going to the throne to rule and to reign. At the entrance of the New Testament, he was going to be scorned, and now he's going to be singing. At the entrance of the New Testament, he was going to be lifted up, and now he's going to sit down by the right hand of the Father. Yeah, that's what it says. And at the entrance, he was going to be crucified but now he is going to be glorified. At the entrance, he was going to atone for our sin. Now he's going to mediate for our sin. Oh, great difference. At the entrance, he was going to be lifted up, and now he is going to put all enemies down. At the entrance, he was going to be our substitute, and now he's going to be our advocate. Somebody says, you know a good lawyer? Yeah, Jesus that's about the only good lawyer. I don't wait a minute. I do know a few more. I know some lawyers that knows Jesus too. They understand that there's only one way to have power, and that's with Jesus. So notice that when we enter the book of Acts, it is the initiation of the church. This is the initiary stage of the church. And so we can't put the second coming here where the birth of the church is. Are y'all getting this? 
okay? So don't get those confused, and we'll be in good shape. Now, last week, we, we looked at some things. We started at one place, and they were all in one accord. And by the way, that's the way it has to be if God's going to show up. Can't be a bunch of divide, division, can't be a bunch of gossip, can't be a bunch of mouth, can't be a bunch of hard feelings, can't be attitudes, can't have any of that stuff. You got to be in one accord. That meant they believed, all of them believed that the Holy Spirit was coming upon them. That's what the Bible said. Now, we, here's what, what we saw. Our sound, they had saw sound. They heard sound. They didn't feel it. That's why I say you don't feel getting saved. You don't feel the Holy Spirit in coming into you when you get saved. You don't feel necessarily the Holy Spirit when you get filled with him. They didn't feel anything. They heard something. And so Jesus is showing the church that he wants to fill the house. Now, what's the house? Now, here, see? So he fills us just like John the Baptist saw him come down out of heaven bodily. He's going to come into us bodily when we got saved. We don't see him come in, and we're never, ever going to see him go out. Hallelujah. But that's what he's talking about. We saw that we heard sound like a mighty wind. But we also had sight. Not only was he audible, it was visible. It looked like human matchsticks. They had D- d- divided that the divisions of, of different languages upon their head like fire. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but the Bible said it set on each one of them. So they're hotheads. Y'all getting this? They set on each one of them. So we have audible, we have visible. We have sound, we have sight, but then we have verbalization because there's speech in verse number four and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other languages or tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance as God just does that. When, when you need to utter for God, God will give it to you if you're full of him. And so that's what happens here. So, we looked at the meaning of that day. We talked about it. We looked at the fulfillment of that day, how God takes all the feast days of the Old Testament, puts them together, and ends it up here at the day of Pentecost, 50 days. Now, that doesn't mean there hadn't been other Pentecost. There would be many other Pentecosts to come. They're mentioned three, four times in the book of Acts. But this day, on the day of Pentecost, 50, which means that's always on what day? Sunday. That's the Lord's day, Sunday. The Sabbath is the Jewish day. It's the Jewish day. Now, when they get saved, they got two days. They got the Sabbath day and the Lord's day. And if you're reading the Bible, these Jews that got saved celebrated both days. Some days are going up to the temple. The next days are gathered together with the believers worshiping. Now, we don't have to worry about the Sabbath because we come to celebrate our Lord on the Lord's day. So that's why he chose that day. And so folks want to argue all they want to. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep worshiping on the Lord's day. They can worship on whatever day they want to. Uh, The Bible says don't fight about the days. 
Don't worry about the day. Just as long as the church gathers and gathers regularly and gathers often, God is pleased. So we, then we saw the miracle that, that I just gave you, the sound and the sight and the speech. And then I closed last week with the memory of that day. This day is so important to us because it helps us to remember where we came from. When we lose sight of where we came from, we lose sight of where we're going. Remember, we need to always understand that the church is not here for your ego. And the church is not here for us to polish your halo. And the church is not here to give you a part that stands out above somebody else's part. The church is not here to brag on you. The church is not here to do anything like that. The church is here to glorify Jesus Christ and to send hotheads out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's here for. And so every now and then I lose, I kind of lose focus, don't you? And I can go back to Acts chapter 2 and see it. You see, wherever, um, by the way, when somebody says to you, um, I know I speak in tongues, but I don't know what I say. It's not a Bible tongue. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, 1 Corinthians said. God will never let you utter a bunch of gibberish that you don't have a clue what you just said. In fact, it's more likely it's from the devil than it is God. Just get that. You'll know when God speaks. So whenever there is a clear manifestation of the Holy Spirit, there will be clear communication by the Holy Spirit. He won't mess us up. He won't try to intimidate us. He won't try to confuse us. The Holy Spirit doesn't confuse. It clears things up for us. And so these children and all was told. The moms and dads were told that in these days now, from this day on, from the day that the Holy Ghost filled that room, that when they received Christ, he'd fill their room. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad he came into my nasty life. And made me new, aren't you? Thank God he can fill a house. You say, well, I'm a lot bigger than you. Can he fill my house? He can fill a big house. Yeah, he can fill a big house. He can fill a little house. He can, he can fill mighty mouth. He can fill anything. He is big enough and better than anything this world has to offer. Brother Mike's preaching on that on Sunday night wonderfully. Now, let me just, I want to give you some definitions so you won't confuse them. And as we go through Acts, you'll know when we mention that word, what it means. Y'all okay? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm okay. Okay, all right. Now, you do, you do remember we have big, mean ushers up in the balcony. If had Isabel standing over there, you can't get around him. I'm telling you. He's got that door blocked. Somebody's got this door blocked. Somebody's got these doors, brother. You can't get out. We got, you, we got you hemmed in here so you can hear the gospel, all right? I'm kidding. That's not true. Don't go tell that and put it on radio. <laughs> Call somebody and try to get them to leave the church. I hope I find out who. Because um, I'll stop it. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, that means upon salvation, Jesus came to live in you. So just write, 
wonderful salvation. Okay? Secondly, write wonderful sanctification and personification because the indwelling that's mentioned, like in 1 Corinthians 12, the indwelling is him in you. Okay? Then the Bible talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not talking about an animal. The seal means, write this, wonderful preservation. In other words, when you got saved, God preserved your soul. You can't get unsaved. It's impossible. Oh, you said, I will if I won't. No, you won't. If you really got saved, you can't get unsaved because you're lost, and that meant you never got saved. Saved people are saved people, and they're saved all the way to Jesus. You just, and so the seal, right, preservation, and write Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. And then I want you to write the word compensation down. No compensation. In other words, God says about the Holy Spirit, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's free. You didn't earn it. He didn't beg for it. He didn't plead for it. He gave you a gift. Somebody say hallelujah. He gave you a gift when you got saved. A gift. Something no one else could give you. Something only he has. Something you didn't deserve. But he gave you a gift. But let me tell you something else he gave you. He gave you gifts. Plural. Gifts. That means when you got saved, you were given a spiritual gift to use in the church and for the church of Jesus Christ. You say, what is my spiritual gift? That's between you and God. I don't have to figure that out. A lot of times I can discern those. Many times, though, that's between you and the Lord. Sometimes people want gifts they don't have and won't use the ones they do have. Remember, it's a gift. You get to serve God with something you didn't train for, you didn't work for, you didn't ask for. He just gave it to you. That's why I love to preach. That's why my place is in the pulpit until I can't do it anymore. My place is in the pulpit because that's what God gifted me to do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not gift me with the gift of mercy, as many of you know. He did not gift me with the gift of ministry to work in the nursery. Yeah, he didn't do that. He did not give me that gift. He gave me the gift to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gift called pastor teacher. Earlier, it's called prophesying. That doesn't mean that I'm predicting. It means I'm forecasting what God has already said. You see, God has a radar. It's called the Bible. Now when we know a storm's coming, we look. I, I'm, they spend like 14 hours telling you six days before a storm's going to hit us. And then we get a little shower and the sun comes out and they say, we told you. <laughs> told you it's going to come. And so here, you know, we, this eclipse thing, we, we, people can't even get rooms in Lebanon. Can't get rooms in Murfreesboro. Can't get rooms anywhere because folks got to come and see for two minutes it get dark. (laughs) 
Number one, you can't see in the dark. You have some trouble. <laughs> you better hope them glasses work. I'm just kidding you. I probably won't look too. I'll be out there with you. But um, write this word down. Consecration. You hear the word anointing mentioned in the Bible. It is called unction in the Bible. Unction is so we can function for a task. Here's what unction is. It's the special ability to use the word of God with power. It's a special touch for a special task. That's unction, okay? The word power here that's mentioned, you'll see many times, was the power to witness. So right beside it, evangelization. Acts 1.8 tells us he, we shall give power. What did he say we'd do with it? Go through the world and lead people to Christ. Amen? Now, if you want to get filled with the Spirit of God today, there is a difference between the filling and the baptism. Both of them happen on the day of Acts chapter 2 because it has to. Because we're, we're starting something new here. We're birthing something new here. We're not under the old covenant now. We're birthing something new. We, we, we're, not, we're not following all these Sabbath laws and all these orthodox silly things that God never did tell them to do anyway. We, hey, we moved on. We're not burning cows and calves anymore. We got the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So on that day, two things had to happen if they became hotheads. Number one, the house had to be filled. They had to be filled baptized at that point with the Holy Spirit. That put them in Christ, and that put Christ in them. Okay, you got it? Do I need to say it again? That put them in Christ and Christ in you. Now, in verse 4, it says they were filled. You say, well, looks to me like they lost something in one verse. No. All through the book of Acts, you will find the word filling. And in chapter 4, Peter is said to be filled with the Spirit three times. Now, he just got filled here. So, I'm going to tell you something, Hillcrest Baptist Church. There's not a one of you or me that don't need to get filled. Well, how often should I get filled? As often as you need it. For most of us every day. Sometimes two or three times a day. Depends on who you work beside. (laughs) This could be an encourager. It could be a discourager. But here's what you have to do. First of all, you have to be saved. Second of all, you've got to be clean. You can't cling to anything in your life that God condemns, that God says is sin if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God because you cannot be filled if you're dirty. You've got to be totally confessed clean. And then you have to be enlightened as to what the filling means. You have to believe it happens. We have to believe it. 
You have to believe that when you ask Jesus to fill you, that you've been saved, you know it. That you're clean, you're consecrated the best you know. There's nothing in your life that would hinder you from serving God. And you want to, you see an opportunity to win somebody to Christ. And you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. All this may take place in just a few seconds or minutes. And then all of a sudden God fills you. You say, I didn't feel him fill me. You don't have to feel him fill you. You have to believe that he does. And at that moment, you sit down with an open Bible and you lead somebody to faith in Christ and you'll see God did what he meant to do. So, well, I just don't know about this. I like a feeling religion. Well, the Bible don't say you can get that. Now, there is a feeling. It's called peace. And when you get saved, that's a good feeling (laughs) to know you went from misery to peace. Can I get a witness? But God never said that there'd be tingles run up your leg and down the other side and up through your nose and make your hair go that way and make your earlobes drop way down. There's not one thing in the Bible that teaches us to do that. It teaches us to trust him when we ask him. And if you don't believe it, you read Luke chapter 11 and you'll find where he tells us to pray that God would speak, and then claim it. Just claim it. God, you said you'd fill me. I believe it. I believe it. So here's what they do. They're speaking the wonderful works of God. The conviction is burning in their hearts. The wind of conversion is waiting in some of their, uh, to blow upon some of their hearts as these match heads these flaming hot heads go out. And then when someone comes to know Christ and when many come to know Christ, when Peter preaches, there no doubt must have been filling of the place with celebration, shouting and singing and having a big time and glorifying the Lord. But the Bible says, here's what they were talking about, the wonderful works of God. Let me tell you something. If our church would spend more time talking about the wonderful works of God Instead of the horrible people of God, we'd win this town to Jesus Christ. Oh, folks would be saved everywhere. But we don't talk about the wonderful works of God. We'd rather talk about somebody who's not working for God, in our opinion. So let's look at 107. Let's get happy a minute, all right? Y'all ready to get happy? I know you are, Jay Birdson. We're going to get you going. I ain't leaving you out, man. He's always with me, and I thank God for that. Psalm 107, turn there. Let me show you. Remember, they didn't have a New Testament, so they couldn't say turn to Colossians or Ephesians and say speaking to your heart, you know, in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They didn't have that verse. But they did have this. They did know, in fact, by memory, most and many of these verses since they was little children. And they no doubt must have remembered Psalm 107 because listen to what verse 8 and 9 says. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the hungry soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Surely somebody can say amen on that. 
Well, that's the mighty work of God. Wonderful works of God. He, does. he satisfieth the longing soul. Now, look at verse 14, 15. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death, and he broke their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Surely somebody ought to get happy on that verse. He brought me from the chains of darkness and set me to the throne of light. Now look, wait a minute. He's not done. Look at verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You say, well, God never has healed me. I guarantee you he had. If he hadn't, when you cut your finger on that knife while you was washing dishes, you'd have died with infection had there not been a holy God that healed you. Don't you say God don't heal. He does. He heals every day. He heals in many ways, but God heals. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who healeth thee. He said, shout about it. Then look, wait, he's not done. Y'all are, but he's not. Look at verse 30. Then are they glad because they be quiet. Why, they've been, they've been in an uproar in their heart. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now they can finally lay their head down on whatever thing they have, whether it's a rock or, or, or a sack or a piece of wool, and they can lay their head down in, in the quietness of the night since the peace of Almighty God as it rushes through them and they praise him for his mighty works. And you say, well, how, how can I know all this stuff? Well, kind of like the little boy who was walking. Seemed like it, he was not where he should be, and he was holding a string, and that string was up in the air. And the preacher, of all people, come by, and he knew him. He said, son, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm flying my kite. He said, I don't see no kite. He said, I know. He said, well, how do you know there's a kite up there? He said, because I feel the tug on the string. Mm. You see, if we get some holy hotheads, you'd start feeling the tug on the string. He'd start pulling your string, pulling your string to witness, pulling your string to tithe. Pulling your string to obey. Pulling your string to love. Pulling your string to share. Pulling your string to visit. Pulling your string to show mercy. Well, because your pastor won't. Pulling your string. He pulls your string. That's why I got married. My wife shows mercy to everybody. So I figured, Lord, if you let her do my part, I'll preach her part. You know what's wrong with us, though, really? We're going against the wind. Spitting in the wind. And wonder why our heads are not hot. Hot heads for Jesus. The miracle of speech. I got time. The word cloven is a word that means divided. 
when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, when Paul takes three chapters to deal with the messed up mess in Corinth about tongues. They had abused them. So he writes it, and in verse 28, he calls it the diversities of tongues. It's the same word, divided. So here we have a miracle of speech that's taking place. They're filled. They submitted to the one who had come. They, they, have, they, they got holy, holy heads of fire. They were under the control of the Holy Spirit because the Bible said they were filled, right? And Ephesians 5.18 says that you ought to be filled with the Spirit. So they wasn't doing anything that they wasn't going to do the rest of their life. So this passage is teaching not some heaven language that no one understands, not some ecstatic utterance that no one understands, Oh, but there's an interpreter. How do you know he understands? I get to stand up and say anything. I've heard a few of them do it. And what they said didn't amount to a hill of beans. In fact, what they said, the Bible said 20 times better. It's a clear language. Verse 6 says it, back in Acts 2. Verse 8 says it, and verse 11 says it. It says, how do we hear them in our own language? There's two miracles. Listen. There's the miracle of speaking. There's the miracle of the hearing. You see, I'm going to give you just a couple things on that before we go home today, and then we'll come back and, and talk about getting drunk next week, okay? But people takes this passage and abuses it so much that God gives us three whole chapters to clean it up. Now, if you want to know what God says about tongues, I'm going to give you a real short precursor course, okay? And by the way, if Benny Hinn or Rod Parsley or any of those other guys that go to these foreign countries and have to have an interpreter, if they had the gift of tongues, they wouldn't need an interpreter. Because here's what happens. Peter preached. He didn't learn any language. He didn't even know any language. He was preaching like he always preached. Maybe somebody here today, you don't understand a bit of English, but I'm preaching like I always preach and he'll be the hit. But you're sitting out there and you're hearing it in your language. That's what he's talking about. Today, it's not as necessary, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But in that day, when you had people from all over the world, nobody could understand each other. And by the way, you could only have a synagogue unless you had 10 men. So in each group, there had to at least be 10. Mixed in among the 3 million people that was probably there, at least a million or so. And so when these guys started hearing, hey, <laughs> that's our life. Somebody's talking in our language. And so they all get together and they heard them clearly. And the Bible said, they're talking about the wonderful works of God. I bet they was talking about Bethlehem. I bet they was talking about a sinless life. 
I, I, I bet they was talking about a crucified Savior. I bet they was talking about a resurrected lamb. I bet they were talking about the one who they saw go through the clouds and know is coming back again. I don't know what they're talking about, but they're talking about the wonderful works of God. And they were doing it in language to which every person there could understand. Now, here's your short, short. Underline the word short because I've been that way all my life. That's, I know what it means. Number one, not everyone can speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28 through 31, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10 and 11 tells us that. It is, tongues is not for everyone. The Holy Spirit filling is for everyone. Number two, since it is a spiritual grace gift, it cannot be obtained by praying for. So you're wasting your time if you're praying for God to let you speak in tongues because if you do it, it won't be of God. I've had to stop three here. The last one, no doubt, had a demon with her because they charged me at the end of the service they could hear me in the balcony. I had to get so loud. An invitation with the music, music playing. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you stop. And this is what she said to me. I don't know what I said, but I know it was of God. I said, ma'am, I don't know what you said either, but I know it wasn't of God. Because the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Since it's a spiritual gift, you better not tell somebody to pray for something that God gives freely. Oh, I want to be a preacher. You better not beg for that. God will make you one. You wish you'd have never heard that word. Amen. Brother Mike, help me, brother. I understand. Now, here's the third thing. It was temporary and transitional, and would end. You say, how do you know that? 1 Corinthians 13, 8 said it would end. At this point, how do you get the gospel to the world? You got them all gathered in one place. You got at least 10 from every place. And so you come to that place to where the whole world is gathered, and you give them the gospel. As a result, they take it to the whole world. That's why people say, well, Jesus can't come because the gospel hadn't been preached to the whole world. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Jesus can come anytime he chooses. So listen, it was transitional. It was to show them that what Joel and what Isaiah and what others had said had come to pass and what Jesus had promised had come to pass. And so it transitioned them from a legalized system to a spiritualized system. Okay, there's two more times that it's used, and both times, one was in the, to transition the Gentiles, and the other was to transition John the Baptist followers who did not know about Jesus Christ. 
That's the three things. It was transitional. It was an initiation, initiation experience and would not be imitated forever. Number four, it was the least of the gifts and yet it became exalted to the highest of the gifts, which is carnality. And Paul restrained the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28 through 31. So, first of all, you can write the word bought. That's for salvation. You can write the word not. That means you did nothing for it. God just gave it to you. Thirdly, you can write the word not haughty. Because if you're lifted up, you can't have it. And then you can write the word taught. If it doesn't communicate the gospel in an understandable way and a clear language, it is confusion, not conviction. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says, God is not the author of confusion. So if it's a confusing, if it's confusing, Guess who did it? Guess who did it? So, what people practice today, and you see on television, is not Pentecostal tongues. Just not. Maybe some good people doing it. Maybe saved people doing it. In fact, I know some that saved and love the Lord, but they've been misled in this area. And I hope today that you'll know. So just write onslaught because you're being bombarded by that kind of teaching that takes just enough of the Bible to mess it up. It is not wild. It's not crazy. What was used by God has been abused by man. Can I ask you to do something for me today why don't you take the tongue you've got and use it for the glory of God (laughs) just the tongue you've got instead of using it to tear up something to use it to deceive something, to mislead something, to lie about something, instead of using it to hurt something, why don't you take the tongue you've got and walk out of here with a holy hothead and set somebody afire tomorrow for Jesus Christ because he has done in you what he wants to do in them. And he's given you all the tools you need. He's filled you up with high-octane fuel. But until you start the car, it won't run. Y'all with me? You say, well, Brother Glenn, I'm not a Christian. What do I do? Here's what you do. Remember what this end verse of Joel said? These last days is for this right here, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you take the tongue you've got and cry out, Jesus, I know you loved me and died for me on the cross. I'm a sinner. I know it. I don't deserve it. 
But God, with all my heart, I want to turn from my sin. That is in my heart. I abhor what I've been. I abhor what I've done. And God, if you would forgive me and save me and change me, would you come into my life? Because I believe what you did on the cross was enough to pay for all my sin. And I believe you rose again from the dead to prove it. And I believe you gave us a church to show us. And today I give you my heart. And with my tongue, I call on the Lord. With my tongue, I call on the Lord. Some of you need to use your tongues for what he gave them to you for, to witness. You've been saved, but you're not witnessing. I'm going to tell you this. And I'm through. You better get used to it. For every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father.